Bibble is built different. He's okay. built different. He's immune. Built different. Hashtag built different. He's not like other girls. Love Bibble. Hello, and welcome to Bibble Babes, your podcast for analyzing the Barbie cinematic universe. I'm Gabby. And I'm Catherine. And, and we're, we're your Bibble, Bibble Babes. Babes. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the Bibble Babes, we had a couple of like interesting sounding audio bits maybe in our last episode. That's because the two of us, your Bibble Babes here, Gabby and Catherine, have been in the process of moving as our college time has come to an end. And it's been a little bit of a doozy trying to figure out how we're going to keep our podcast audio sounding nice. So please bear with us as we might have a couple of mishaps. Say time for the Bibble Babes to keep bibbling. Bibble Babes. On today's episode, we're moving on to Barbie Fairytopia, where we will finally be discussing our king, Bibble. Barbie Fairytopia was released direct-to-video in 2005 and starred the voice talents of Kaylee Sheridan as Alina and Lee Toker as the puffball, the myth, the legend, Bibble! This is Barbie's first fully original story, and it is a banger. Fun fact, there was also a stage play of Fairytopia called Barbie Live in Fairytopia that toured from 2005 to 2006 and visited 80 cities across the U.S. I mean, it's kind of iconic, and part of me still wishes it was touring because I really would like to see that, and I wonder if there's a bootleg somewhere. Oh, for sure. There's definitely bootleg on YouTube. I've looked it up, and we have to review it at some point. The costumes are fabulous. Beautiful. All right, so our film here stars the main character, Alina, and she is a fairy who lives in the magic meadow of Fairytopia. Except, even though she's a fairy, Alina was born without wings, and Fairytopia is hikey ableist, and she is constantly taunted, teased, and belittled for not being able to fly. In particular, by a group of three fairies who are, for some reason, like, half as tall as she is, because apparently fairies come in multiple sizes. It's really weird. I don't know what's going on. Why are some of them small and some of them big? I don't know. But that's just how it be, I guess. Did try to do something where they were like, oh, related to the plants that they like live in and or represent or something like that. So some plants might be bigger than other plants. But it just, without actually explicitly stating that, they just kind of present you with some fairies are Barbie sized. Some fairies are like Polly Pocket sized. No explanation. None. They just said, you're going to take this world building and we will never explain it. Just accept it. It's like, okay. Say so la vie. Say la vie. So one day it's rumored that Laverna, the sister of the Enchantress, who may or may not exist. That's Laverna who may or may not exist, not the Enchantress. So they know the Enchantress exists, but apparently not her evil sister. I don't know. So, Laverna has been releasing a toxic gas that is causing all winged creatures from Fairytopia to lose the ability to fly, and has also kidnapped the Enchantress herself. It is also killing all the flowers, and when Alina wakes up to her flower home, Peony, dying, she decides to set out with her friend Dandelion and Bibble on a quest to stop Laverna's evil plan, which is kind of insane when you think about the fact that they don't know if Laverna is real or not and she's just like there's a rumor of this biological warfare I guess I'm gonna stop it okay it's so wild to me one because the fact that the enchantress exists and is like integral to the social structure she's like 
part of, I guess, ruling class monarch type vibes of a person in this society. And they know she exists because she performs that function, but they don't know if her twin sister exists. Like, I think it was twin. Yeah. Like, what? Don't know. It's like crazy. Like, is the lifespan of fairies just really long and it's been a couple hundred years since anyone saw her? Or is it just like, I don't know. They treat her like a myth. If we all like just saw Queen Elizabeth II and then we were like, but Princess Margaret, who's to say whether or not she actually exists, even though they're literally sisters. I don't know what was going on there. Nack, obviously a fictional character, totally made up. The British press just wants you to believe in her. And secondly, oh my god, we mentioned this as we were watching the film, the way they literally make an enchantress as if the character in Swan Lake isn't also called the Enchantress. Honestly, hot take. Barbie Fairytopia is Swan Lake if it made sense. No, but also sure. Um, Realm I- in danger. Enchantress has like, wasn't the Enchantress in Swan Lake related to the... Yeah, it was her evil brother. Apparently, Yeah, also- that's what I'm saying! Weird sibling goes crazy, causes catastrophe things for Realm, but this unlikely person who you wouldn't expect because either one, Swan Lake, she isn't actually from the Realm and is just a little human girl or whatever, or two, in Fairytopia, she doesn't have wings like the rest of the fairies there, is going to save the day through the sheer power of, like, you know, will and stuff or whatever. Fairytopia, I, that is my hot take of this podcast episode, Barbie Fairytopia is Barbie's in Swan Lake, if it made sense. And the Enchantress actually knew how to do stuff. I don't agree, but you know what? You do you. Also, Alina is far better than Odette. Hands down. Superior character. Okay, I'm glad I was able to put my hot take out there because I'm going to die on that hill. Go for it. So, back to the plot here. Um, Meanwhile, Laverna, who does in fact actually exist. Unlike Princess Margaret... (laughs) She has been kidnapping the guardians of Fairytopia to use the power from their magical necklaces to make herself all-powerful. Various guardians, all associated with different colors of the rainbow, have been given like powerful necklaces from the Enchantress. Also, all of these guardians are under no impression that Laverna is fake. Like They all know she exists, which is very weird that no one else seems to think she exists. Anyway, but they've been given these necklaces by the Enchantress, and they're very powerful, and Laverna needs them to make herself all-powerful. You've heard of Guardians of the Galaxy, but have you heard of Guardians of Fairytopia? The way Laverna is literally out here collecting magical necklaces as if they're the Infinity Stones. They're all different colors, too. Laverna walked so Thanos could run. Oh my god. So, because Topaz, the guardian of the magical meadow, has been kidnapped, Alina, Dandelion, and Bibble are headed to find Azura, the guardian of Fairy Town, which is a lame name, Fairy Town. On the way to Fairy Town, Dandelion breathes in the toxic gas and has to turn back as her wings weakened. Now, Alina and Bibble must continue on their own. I think it's important to note here, I don't think at any point in the movie, Bibble experiences any struggle with this, like, bio-warfare thing that's happening, because it's meant to be impacting all of the creatures who have wings. So it's been impacting the fairies at some point, it impacts this, like, butterfly thing, dude. Um, And it's just, it is indiscriminately impacting all of these creatures who have wings. Except for Bibble. 
Bibble is built different. He's okay. built different. He's immune. Built different. Hashtag built different. He's not like other girls. Love Bibble. On their way to find Azura in Fairy Town, Alina faces many challenges because of her lack of wings. The fairy world just isn't built for people like her. Eventually, when they do make it to Fairy Town, they find out that it's under quarantine because the town is so inaccessible that without flight, the fairies within it would not be able to live in Fairy Town. Yeah. It's really interesting throughout the film, Alina goes back and forth between like, she's so used to functioning without wings that she's definitely the best person suited for this task. And then at the same time, like everything she goes through, like struggle challenge wise, is almost entirely caused by the inaccessibility of Fairytopia. Yeah. Ain't no ADA stuff happening here. Not in Fairytopia, that's for sure. Do we want to touch on this possibly being sort of a story about disability? Do you think it is or no? I think there's something to be said there where she just so clearly exists in a world that is not built for people like her. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it's easy to paint the film in that way. But at the same time, because of the ending, they're like, mm, and all of a sudden, here you go. Even though we never cared before, here's a set of fairy wings from the Enchantress. There's something a little bit uncomfortable with that allegory and the ending, which I think is interesting to sit in and how it's like, well, our solution is always just, it kind of reminds me of like people who are deaf and are hard of hearing, how people who are hearing their like their just immediate reaction is always well how do we fix this like hearing people are always like i must fix deafness and like so there's you know hearing aids cochlear implants stuff like that where like some people in the deaf community literally could not care less and do not want any of that stuff and just live their lives using american sign language or other form of sign language so like There is some, like, there, I think there's something to be said there. And then also at the same time, the ending is a little weird where it's just like, "Mm, okay, that thing that, you know, you've been struggling your whole life living in a world not suited for people like yourself. We're going to fix it like that and make it so that you are like everyone else. Yeah, I would say the comparison is there, but it's definitely a very imperfect analogy. Yes. Particular because of that ending. It definitely, I do think this film would be a very interesting and good tool to explain to someone who's young mm-hmm. how someone who is differently abled might struggle in a society not built for people like them. I think it'd be a really good way. Like, you know, oh, you know how like some people can't get into buildings without ramps? It's just like how Alina couldn't get into fairy town because she doesn't have wings. Like, I could see that to some degree. Yeah, not perfect, Maybe. but interesting connection there. It's there. It's a connection. Okay. So eventually, after some killer parkour, because Alina's the parkour master, Alina and Bibble make it to Azura's house, and Azura hears them out because Alina has the rainbow in her eye, which according to fairy lore means that she is special and destined for greatness. This (laughs) is absolutely Fairytopia's equivalent of the magic stone from Swan Lake. Stop. Okay. No, I will not stop, Gabby. It's so true. Fine, you're right. It is definitely that, but like still. It's because of plot reasons. She has the plot, plot in her eye. She has the plot in her eye. Though it really never comes into play, like ever. They're just like, she has the rainbow in her eye. And then that really does nothing for her. I mean, she like, the rainbow in her eye like glistens or whatever when she's fighting Laverna. But, yeah, but that's it. it. It's just there. 
Uh, maybe it comes up in later films with Alina. Tune no, into the later Bibble Babes podcast episodes where we will let you know as soon as we rewatch those. I'm pretty sure in, I think it's called Magic of the Rainbow, it does come up. But I kind of doubt they are thinking about Far Ahead with their foreshadowing. In in this film, it is absolutely functioning the way the magical stone in Swan Lake functions. Absolutely. She's hashtag not like other girls for real though. So also Zora is just high key a queen and I love her so much. She is the moment. She is an icon. I love Azora. These empty seats are for the friends I haven't met yet. It's it's cute for some reason. And I don't know. The way that becomes relevant later too. Yes. Delicious. Delicious. It's like cute but also eccentric. It's giving Luna love good. That makes sense. That vibe. Yeah. You know? Which I dig. I'm here for Like, Luna love good, but as, like, a parent. Because she's got, like, some motherly vibes to her. Yes. Parental Luna love good energy. So, Azura gives Alina her butterfly necklace, which is, of course, from the Enchantress, under the guise of a good luck charm, and tells her that she needs to find Dahlia, a dryad who used to work with Laverna, but has turned against her. Azura also instructs Bibble to go find her friend Hugh, who is a giant butterfly. I think it's kind of funny his name's Hugh, because he's, like... A hue of the rainbow. Get it? Put on chow. Yeah, it's all of our little rainbow puns here. So zest. I also think it's iconic. His character design. They were like, this is going to be the most like outrageously fluffed up butterfly that has ever existed. All sorts of bright pastel-y type colors with long curly eyelashes and then just make it like the most upstanding british gentleman dude slay it's a great combo we love it like he's just living his best butterfly life it's he's living it up so in the night azura is kidnapped by laverna's fungi minions and in the morning her house is searched by the fairy government who finds alina there alone thankfully Alina evades them and meets up with Bibble and Hugh outside because, of course, the fairy government thinks that she somehow did something to Azura. I don't know. It's weird. The I way that somehow Azura, like, knew that all of this would need to happen. Homegirl has to have some sort of prophecy, precognition type beat because everything she does is, like, somehow helpful in the future. Azura just somehow be knowing these things you know that's just how she is she's just that cool yo so soon after they escape laverna sends her firebirds after them which by the way it is so hard to understand why they're called firebirds no explanation they look like thistles like considering how everything is plant-based it would make so much more sense for them to like be some play on something with the word thistle or just be thistles but no. Firebirds. Anyway, well, that's just random, but it needed to be said. Um, so Laverna sends her firebirds after them, and they are forced to land in them, being uh, Hugh, Bibble, and Elena. They are forced to land in the Mermaid Cove, where they meet Prince Nalu. Prince Nalu decides to help them by giving them seaweed that will allow them to breathe underwater, and so the group can swim out of the cove to avoid the firebirds. Because the firebirds are, they can't do water. That's not a thing they can do. Maybe that's why the movie decided to call them firebirds. They were like, you know what f- is the opposite of water? Fire. Fire. <laughs> you know what this movie needs? Mermaids. 
Which, you know what? Sure. They were correct. They're correct. The, mo- the movie did need mermaids. And Nalu kind of has this like weird attitude in the beginning. Like he's definitely like self-centered type dude, but he's also kind of got a heart of gold underneath. And I do kind of live for it. He's giving frat boy who's secretly nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like he he's nice, but he's on daddy's yacht in salmon chino shorts. I also it is important to me that if the people babes who listen to our podcast have watched this film recently, please keep his face in mind. It's important for later. That's a surprise tool that can help us later. Yes. Oh my god. Watch our next episode to find out why you need to remember Prince Nalu's face. Tune in. Like, (laughs) it's so funny. Okay, so once out of the cove, the group heads to find Dahlia. But soon, Hugh's wings begin to weaken. They land, and Alina manages to find two thoroughly annoying creatures that lead her on foot to find Dahlia. I don't know what they are or why they're like that, but I hate them so much. They are stupid. I think their names are Nick and Knack, and I don't appreciate them. Disgusting. Zero out of ten. Gross. Annoying. It just... I don't think it was all that creative of a decision. I would love to know what went into the thought process of designing them and putting them into the plot. Because again, everything in Fairytopia is based on plants or fungi. Like the quote unquote villainous minions or whatever are fungi because oftentimes fungi are parasitic. I don't know if parasitic is the right word here, but like live and feed off of plants. Yeah. And so, like they kind of have this like idea like that fungi is a little bit as like the antithesis of a plant. So everything is based off of plants except for firebirds and whatever these two things are. Like what? I guess maybe if you really loosened it up and it was like, oh, everything is garden based because you have like butterflies and stuff like Hugh, that Nick and Nat can be like garden gnomes. But I hate that. I hate them. I hate that. No, thank you. Anyway, they make it to Dahlia, who is disappointingly less emo than her name would suggest. I was expecting a goth outfit with a name like Dahlia, but she is still pretty cute, I guess. She's cool. I like her. Sassy. I don't know. The way they also consider her, they like call her a dryad, but she just looks like every other fairy. Is no. like, we couldn't have shaken, like, okay, we have some different character design for freaking Nick and Knack, but we couldn't shake up hers and make her, like... She has a tree. We're so green to like make reference to chlorophyll or something like that. And the fact that she like literally is a dried that like, doesn't she like twinkly like emerge from the stem of a plant or something like that? She does emerge from a tree, but that's like it. Otherwise, she's just a fairy. Yeah, I, there should be, there could have been more there. That's my hot. I mean, I'm I'm also just a Greek mythology nerd. So yeah, there could have been, that could have given a little bit more for me. Yes. The fun fact, her voice actor is the same as the voice actor for Nori and Barbie in Fairytopia Mermaidia. So that's a fun fact for later. So anyway, Alina convinces Dahlia to help her defeat Laverna and off they go. The group then heads to Laverna's lair to defeat her evil plot. Laverna, meanwhile, has been interrogating Azura to get the last necklace. She needs to, to complete this plot, but because Azura, foresight queen that she is, gave elena the necklace azura doesn't have it on her so unlike all of the other fairy guardians who had theirs laverna doesn't get to steal it and so elena and her friends make it to the lair cross the little moment a little 
I don't know how I would describe that obstacle course. Yeah. I don't know. To make it to the lair. And Laverna tries to gaslight Gate Keep Girl Boss her way into convincing Elena to come to her side by promising to give her wings. And kind of like pseudo giving her wings there for a second. And it like hypnotizes Elena. And so she like puts the necklace back on Azura, which completes the spell. The power of the other guardians' necklaces pour into the union point, which will give Laverna all of their power. It's like really, it's probably like in universe, like really magically slash and or scientifically complex. But um, Alina is low key out of it. Like Homegirl does not appear to be in control of her actions. Like she is, Homegirl is like full on hypnotized. Yes. But as she stares into Azura's eyes, as she places a necklace around her neck, she remembers the words that Azura told her long ago. The friends I haven't met yet. Which breaks through the magical spell, snapping Alina out of it. And then she hurls the necklace at the union point, shattering it. And in the process, all of Laverna's evil spells are undone, restoring the winged creature's ability to fly, freeing the enchantress, and causing Laverna herself to disappear until the next movie. It's important to note, like, the union point thing also isn't random. I'm pretty certain Dahlia tells Alina that when she was working for Laverna, she would always, like, bemoan the fact that the union point was so fragile. But she really just was like, you know what? You know what's going to break this? A necklace. Anyway. (laughs) Alina should play baseball, I guess. She oh because they were catching at the beginning of the film. That is one thing this movie does like an incredible job of, is somehow everything that happens in the end is referenced beforehand. Like the little thing that Azura says about the friends we haven't met yet. The fact that Dahlia says the like union point is fragile. The fact that Alina throws something at it and it hits it because she was playing catch with Bibble at the beginning of the film. We stand our king. King Bibble. We love him. The continuity is kind of, it kind of hits here. The callbacks are solid. And this is, I think, where Fairytopia departs from Swan Lake because Swan Lake doesn't make sense. Anyway. Swan Lake is a hot mess of a film. (laughs) (laughs) I do think this one is Swan Lake, but with a plot. Yeah, this one makes sense and has a plot and some world building, which may not always make sense, but it's actually here. So that's better than we can say for Swan Lake. Um, So the film basically concludes with Elena and Bibble returning home, and they are pretty soon visited by the Enchantress, who again is that sort of like ruling figure person monarch, who rewards Elena's bravery by giving her a necklace that grants her magic wings so that Elena can finally fly. And she can fly now. Yay. Huzzah! The thing that the Enchantress was entirely capable of doing the entire time of Lena's life, no, it's finally going to happen now. <laughs> Only now, because I guess the Enchantress is too busy doing other Enchantress stuff. I don't know. Maybe also, she like or- knew that Lena was going to be vital to this by not having wings. Like Maybe the Enchantress is also like prophetic. Maybe. Maybe she keeps a catalog of everyone who has the rainbow in their eye. <laughs> Maybe the Enchantress is actually the secret villain of the entire film, and Laverna, by causing all of the flying creatures to be unable to fly, was actually just campaigning for a pretty crazy form of equality. 
No, I yeah, no, this film, it's wild, but in like the best way. It really is. It's it's so crazy, but I love it. I love it so much. What do you think like the moral of this film is, Gab Gab? Oh god. Um we all have different strengths, I guess. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Because Alina can't do the things that other people does, but she has her own strengths. So Yeah, we're all like capable in different ways and suited yeah. towards different tasks. And none that of them all like contribute and are helpful. Yeah. That's a good that's a good one. Also, I think there's like something to be said about perseverance here. Like yeah. there are so many things like even just when she was trying to find Azura or whatever, and the like fairy government was like, you can't meet with the fairy guardian because of quarantine, which uh, the way this was calling back a little bit to COVID was a little strange. <laughs> I predicted this film it way back in 2005. Living through a pandemic. But there are so many times where she could have been like, well, I guess I've been thwarted. Time to head back. But she doesn't. And that's very iconic of her. Perseverance is cool. And also, Bibble is a king, and we love Bibble. That is also the main lesson. The moral of this film is actually that just Bibble is a king, and he's well different. We love Bibble. The Bibble babes. His voice just, it's so good. Like, they didn't have to do that, but they did. And it's great. Shout out to Lee Talker. We love Bibble. Also, we love a sidekick who's, like, actually competent. The way he, like, actually brings Hugh, like, he listens to what Azura says, finds Hugh, and brings Hugh to help Elena. He's a king. Like, there are other Barbie first sidekicks who just are awful. only get in the way. He's a king. He is a king. Okay, where do you rank the dress? It's a little bit different, because it's not a princess dress. It's, like, a fairy dress. But where do you rank it? Is it my favorite? No. But at the same time, I kind of love how different it is. Because, like, again, we've been saying over and over again, this film based a bunch of stuff off of a garden and flora, that it was really cool to see an animated dress that kind of drew on that inspiration. Like, it's very closely linked to the setting that they put the film in. And I think that's wonderful. I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10, just because... There's things that are better. Also, I think it's strapless. And I'm sorry, there's no way she was doing some of that stuff without that just falling down. <laughs> but it's um, it's pretty. It's neatly tied into the whole like world building of the film. But uh, there is better. So what about you? I'd say 7.5. I love how it's flower petal inspired. And also it gets an extra point because of the awesome eye makeup she has, which is just so iconic. Love it. True true so like vine shoes those are really cute <gasps> oh my god her shoes 10 out of 10 those are uh, iconic so cute iconic i want a pair love it okay any lasting remarks how would you rank the film overall beyond just dress so like including stuff the world building the plot the characters the moral of the story how do we feel about the film as a whole a chaotic seven yeah. No, I feel that, that that feels about right. Maybe like a 7.5. Like it ranks highly, but in like the most chaotic way possible. Yes. Like it's really chaotic, but it's also really good. But it's not like the best, you know? So it's up there, yeah. but not quite top tier, you know? Yeah. Like I, I would definitely, I would rank this over everything but Princess and the Popper, I think is how, in terms of what we've reviewed so far. 
I was going to be like, but Mermania is yet to come. Yeah, no, oh my God. In terms of films yet to come, there's there's some bangers about to happen. Because I would say the world building is zany and crazy, but I love it. It may have plot holes, but you know what? Why not? All world building has plot holes. It just kind of embraces the wild. It does. The plot is out there and I love it. Um, It's like a quest. It's good. I I would almost compare it to like the plot of like The Hobbit or something like that. So she's like, she's called on an unexpected journey and has to like basically walk to the evil place, defeat the thing and go home. I think like what makes the film so fun and so good is it because it embraces the fantasy and it embraces how wild it is well like you have again i keep drawing the comparison to swan lake swan lake tried to take itself so seriously it's like oh we're based on a ballet and it's really sophisticated and so our plot is also sophisticated except for the part where there wasn't even a plot really at all everything just happened for plot reasons but then you have this where like there are some things happening for plot reasons the story beats are similar but because it just leans so far into just we're here to have a colorful fun time it hits it hits also i love how this is it's fantasy but not the same kind of fantasy as the previous films this isn't like princessy fantasy this is fairies and mermaids sort of fantasy which i really appreciate the bcu is expanding the bcu is expanding and i love it I love me a good lighthearted fairy story. None of that like weird dark fae stuff that's in so many books these days. I want fun fairies, okay? Not yeah, books, you know. I think it's fun. All right, and where would you rank it? No, I think I think about the same. Just like yeah. a wild seven point five. Oh yeah, would recommend, guys. Yeah, this is definitely on the list of if I had to select Barbie movies to make somebody watch, this is one of them. Oh yeah, Fairytopia. Like, some of them can be skipped. This one, no. Necessary. Particularly for the fact Fibble. that it has sequels that are very, very important. Yeah, this is also the first start to a Barbie series within the BCU, where there are direct follow-ups and even spin-offs. So that's fun. Incredibly zesty. We love to see it here at the Bibble Babes. We love to see it. Love to see it. This is the first in a trilogy for the Fairytopia series. And then there's the spin-off series, Mariposa which I think has two films in that series. So five movies taking place in the same universe. Zesty. Incredibly zesty. Love it. Any final thoughts? No. Are we ready to close out? Let's do it. Again, so this has been your Bibble Babes discussing the good, the bad, and the Barbie. Join us next time for a deep dive into Barbie, Magic of the Pegasus, where we will finally discuss the Barbie film of all the horse girl dreams. Be sure to check out our Instagram account as well at the Bibble Babes, all one word, all lowercase, for the latest on all things Bibble Babes. Our Instagram is the place to learn about special episode announcements, suggest content, or your very own hot takes to the Bibble Babes, and interact with all things Barbie. We post a new episode every other Friday. If you're new here, be sure to like and subscribe. And as always, spread kindness like glitter. Bye.